0: Hello Marv, this is James Court from the Court Case Podcast, and I just wanted to weigh in on uh, this Spider-Man chat that you're having. Basically, I was about... I was born in 1995, so I was about seven years old, six, seven years old, when the original Spider-Man movie came out with Tobey Maguire, and so... You know, when you're a young kid and you watch movies, most of the time, whatever the movie is, you just think it's amazing. But And it was the same with Spider-Man. I remember going there, I'd never seen or heard really of any other superhero before. He was the first one. And I just remember going into that film and just being absolutely blown away by it. Just the visuals, the storytelling, just the characters, everything was so, so good. And I've watched it multiple times a few years later. Spider-Man 2... The Tobey Maguire one is my favourite Spider-Man movie ever. I think it's one of the best superhero movies ever. And Spider-Man 1 was just a perfect origin story for that character. Another thing is the costume. The costume is fantastic. Like, it's the best Spider-Man costume they've had. It's so striking. It's so original. It's also, it's a little bit gritty as well. Like, the harsh lines and the, like, popping out sort of webs on it and um it's just an incredible film and uh, i think a lot of superheroes these days uh, superhero movies they don't live up to it in my personal opinion especially the first two it has that sort of campiness as well to it that's sort of comic booky that they've captured i love it just a couple of my little thoughts on spider-man i hope you guys have a great rest of the discussion about it uh and i'll chat to you soon i
1: Hello and welcome to Pod like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time, as a special bonus for everybody, I'm chatting with a group of podcasters who are, uh, let's say, among my favourite podcast hosts ever. So, first of all, oh, so nice. that's right. First of all, I'll get mushy. I've been nervous about this all day. Don't put me off, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I'm going to introduce from uh, one of the co-hosts of Real Blend, who's also the managing editor of Cinema Blend and the author of the book Release the Snyder Cut, which is obviously about releasing the Snyder Cut and the story behind those films, and also the author of the forthcoming book With Great Power. And I think we can guess what that book's about as well, hopefully. And that's (laughs) Sean O'Connell. Hey, Sean. Hello, Marv. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. Long time no see. I know. Good to, good to be on. I appreciate you inviting me over to this discussion. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, thank you for suggesting it. As soon as you suggested it, I thought, yep, yeah, I've got to do this. Absolutely. Also with me uh, today, I've got uh, from Comic Book Nation, that podcast, Comic Book Nation, and from the company Comic Book, who... Um... <sighs> Do I say that you're affiliated with Paramount Television, Matt, Matt Aguilar? Uh,
2: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, You know, we're in the CBS family. (laughs) We're in there somewhere. (laughs) That's that's loose enough. It's somewhere.
1: Well, the show is shown on Paramount Plus on Sundays in the US, I believe. That's right. Yeah, Sundays, baby. There you go. I do listen. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Thank
2: you. I will tell <laughs> Kofi that uh all his outros and intros are very much appreciated. He's so good at that stuff.
1: Yes, and I'm looking forward to uh my suggestion coming through this Christmas when you all <laughs> at uh, comic book do uh, do a Christmas song together, apparently. Uh, I will try my best to make it happen.
2: I got a Christmas <laughs> hat somewhere around here already. It's time, it's almost time. We're only I can't do
1: math. No nope. uh we're only <laughs> we're not that far. <laughs> We're not
2: that, far. <laughs> not that far away from
3: Christmas.
1: Now, for, for the, for, for, to, just to put across what I mean, what, where this comes from, is that um, from day one of listening to Comic Book Nation, I keep uh, putting out there every time that Matt or Janelle or Kofi or any of the hosts of Comic Book Nation suddenly burst out into song. And there's a tag going on, t- on Twitter and all the socials saying Comic Book Nation's got talent.
2: My choir teacher would be quite proud. All these years later, I'm making it happen in the geek universe. You
1: know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> Got to keep it going. And also from the podcast Stew World Order is Rob Stewart. Hey, Rob, how are you doing?
4: I am doing well, Marv. Thank you so much for having me. And I apparently am being joined right now by my cat. So he is <laughs> he is saddled up next to me. He's going to help me talk about Spider Man.
1: Wow, you've told us, told everyone what we're doing there. And (laughs) lastly, but not least, is Morgan Doherty from DoCast, And I'm trying to remember the name of the True Crime podcast as well. Oh,
3: yeah. uh, The Untitled Chronicles. So uh, we'll be bringing them both back soon. So that'll be good. And I'm super excited to be here with you guys. Absolutely.
1: Right. Now... Did you all see the exhaustive research that I did the other day that doesn't even get anywhere near the exhaustive research that Sean had to do for his book? I was impressed. It's a good outline. Very good outline. <laughs> I cut it down to the bare minimum instead. Sure. Okay. That That would only take about a week to get through. <laughs> yes. So. We are talking about the 20th anniversary, and most of us can't believe that it is 20 years since the first Sam Raimi-directed Spider-Man film that starred Tobey Maguire. And, uh, oh, God, 20 years. Actually, before I go through all this, Sean, what's your first memory of this film? Uh, I, I was actually
5: really dating myself. Um reviewing films for official publications uh, at that point. So I got to see a press screening of it. And, you know, in hindsight, probably lament that that's my first experience of it, you know, because when you think about getting the opportunity to go opening weekend uh, and experience it with a crowd, uh, probably would have been outstanding. And I didn't, I didn't go opening weekend. I ended up going during the, during the week that it opened. So I saw it early and I, I got a chance to, you know, come back and write the review for it. And I'll never forget. Like it's, when you see your favorite character come to life on screen and come to life the way that that, that he did, uh, you know you go in with 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 moderate expectations, tempered expectations, uh, and, and then you realize that that it's a perfect marriage of of filmmaker and and story, you know, and to and to see all of the elements of his origin come to life from the you know the wrestling match and. The, the death of uncle Ben for the first time, you know, yes, it's yeah. been out, It's been played at this point now, but um, you know, seeing it all, seeing it all really come to fruition was, was remarkable. So um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say 20 years, but it honestly, in all honesty, it feels like it was
1: about two months ago. It really does. What about you, Matt? Well, um, I'll say
2: that, you know, I don't, I don't know if Sean was missing anything because I saw it opening week, but because I was going to college at the time, I couldn't go like, a, I went like during the day, Cause like we were going to full sales. So like we had a 24 kind of hour weird schedule. So like I went at like, you know, 1130 in the morning, like no one's it's just me and like 10 people, you know, and even though it's opening week and I saw it by myself because I couldn't, all my friends were busy. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, screw it. I want to see this movie. So I went and saw it by myself. And I remember just, I mean, much to what, you know, he said, I, I thought he put it great is that it's just seeing this, that like, this is possible. You've seen things like this attempted, with other characters, Captain America, other things, right? And there were things to love about those, but this was when you really saw like, hey, they can actually put money into this and make these scenes from the comics. Like, I remember just leaving and going like, I can't believe I saw him web swing. Like, I remember just leaving the theater like that. Like, I I can't believe I saw him just like shouting, especially like that scene where like he's swinging away from MJ and he's just like so excited to be swinging. Like that scene stuck with me. Stuff like that, the exuberance of that character that you've loved. Uh, for so many years so
5: that, that was the me. sound of the web sling the with the sound of the web coming so out good. too that like prior to that was x was wolverine's claws you know the first time i heard wolverine's claws pop a, and i was like god they got it how do they get it you <laughs> <know>? <laughs> yeah, little things much. like that that just make you appreciate the effort that went into it
1: well going off on a tangent i mean you you you've pulled a good one out there with the first the first x-men film that one was a surprise as well when that came out because that that succeeded expectations as well.
0: Well,
5: sure it did. And, you know, this goes back to the, the people who were starting to make comic book movies around this time uh, had connections to Marvel and were licensing these characters out, but but fighting a little bit harder uh, to make accurate uh, adaptations, as accurate as they could be. You know, there are actually still notes and changes coming from studio heads that, that feared, you know, making them too drastically comic book-y because comic book had a different... Definition at that point twenty years ago, uh, but you know now we know that there was an, a, a a lowly assistant on the set of Brian Singer's film uh, who who had a real eye for the way comic book movies should be told, uh, and and his
1: name was Kevin Feige, and, and look what he's done since that point. Absolutely. What's your first memory of the this first Spider Man film, Rob?
4: Uh, I remember seeing it opening weekend. I also think I saw it by myself. I just kind of went and saw it. And then I think a few days later, I went with two friends of mine and we were big wrestling fans like all throughout the 90s every Monday night we would get together we would watch wrestling together Sunday night we'd watch the pay-per-views because my parents got me like a black box for sometimes (laughs) so I could watch the the de-scrambled pay-per-views and then I just remember we watched the movie we enjoyed it and the entire like 45 minute drive home it was just us going like bone (laughs) saw just the entire time just enraptured by that scene (laughs) (laughs) Do
1: me so many great things what about you Morgs?
3: yeah so obviously uh in 2002 when the film came out i would have only been three at the time so i oh. remember um yeah so, so I was, young <laughs> too young
0: but yeah um
3: i remember watching it on vhs like a couple of years later and it was like a really cool like red vhs case so it was like yep. went with the spider-man theme and i remember when i first put it in it was kind of like right at the end of the movie, so I saw obviously spoiler alert. I know it's like, it's like a twenty year old movie, but yeah. um, the Green Goblin scene, you know, the bit with the whether he dies at the end, so it was ruined for me straight away. But I still rewound it and enjoyed it at the end.
1: Yeah, I, I think the I think they did a really good job there. I mean, the the casting was impeccable for that. You know, I mean, you you got so you've got. I mean, it's a bit like it's similar to what Feige's brought into the MCU now, where You've got top class actors in there and crew behind them, and everything. And you can see the money there on the screen, and they've really given you a top rate um, piece of product there. Because I know uh, Sean will remember, I'm sure, you know, when we were younger, we remember the films and the, and the, the, the very short series that, uh, that they made in the late 70s, you know, which is completely different. But there was still something about that that was sort of like, because I'm like, sure, my my hero was Spider-Man and always was from the beginning. So anything that came that was Spider-Man, I'd automatically feel attached to watching that anyway. But, but then it's like a whole nother level when they were making films like this to what they were making when we were younger. Mm-hmm. For
5: sure. And, you know, the fact that they get someone of Willem Dafoe's calibre You know, to to take on a villain role, which in in all honesty, I I believe that Defoe probably gives his best Norman Osborn performance in No Way Home uh, because he, you know, has evolved as the character. Uh, He he is truly menacing in in No Way Home in a way that I don't think he quite achieves uh, in the Raimi films. There's still a, a little... I don't know if I want to call it camp necessarily. Oh, no, it's camp. You uh, can he's a better. You know actor. Of he's kind of, yeah, can I? Kind of can right I call it camp? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also just a better actor. He's a better actor two decades right. later. Um, and I, you know, the his transition, not the jump to no way home, but you know, the Norman's on sabbatical, honey, is like I get goosebumps, you know, just at his delivery yeah, with that. So so God bless, you know, that casting, which allows it, it opens the door to get someone like Molina. You know, yeah. and then and then leads to a lot of these studios and these franchises realizing, oh, we can actually cast you know real actors in these things, and, and and then the real actors started to realize, oh, we can make a lot of money if we take these roles, and you know they didn't come with a, a stigma yeah. anymore;
1: they were legitimate characters. I think for the actors though, there's also a case of them watching these and then realizing that um, suddenly it's not like because. Back then, they might have had this image of superhero films and superhero properties that way, being like the old Batman series from the late 60s and that there was that really high level of camp or it wasn't quite, it didn't quite have the money behind it like those, you know, the Captain Americas from that they tried to make back when and these other films. And suddenly when they saw a film like this first Spider-Man and before it, the other films as well that we mentioned, it was like, hold on a minute, this is actually quite serious, and there is something here. So that was attractive to the actors as well, to be able to play something that had a bit more uh, gravitas to it.
4: Well, it was interesting because by the time this had come out, you had kind of gotten three different flavors to show how it would work. You got something that was pretty dark with Blade. Then you got the X-Men, which was kind of a blend of humor and And Dark, and then you got this, which definitely leaned more into the humor. So this was more of like the Batman 66 sensibilities, but combined with, at the time, modern filmmaking. So yeah, yeah, you really Mm -hmm. got to see like, okay, so you could even lean into the history of what people think about, but still do a good job with it. Mm -hmm. Great.
2: Also, ironically, out of those three, I feel like Blade, I feel like both extremes on the spectrum aged better this spider-man movie ages better and blade actually ages pretty damn well amazingly uh compared to like the first x-men if you go back i don't know i, I recently i recently watching all three of these the first x-men's kind of rough <laughs> it's kind of rough x2 was you know amazing and and they fixed those things but like these two the way they leaned into those a bit further i mean this is one of the most comic booky movies so far like even compared to some of today's stuff like it's they lean hard into like sequences that feel like they were pulled out of the books and and dialogue too sometimes which you know kind of some of it ages better than others but it's just impressive still to see like what ramy how much Raimi gave credence to the books and the
4: vibe and the tone and melded that with that cinematic flavor it's odd that you have a movie that was this successful that was this popular that was this beloved and yet there's also a moment in it where you see a villain running away from the hero going we'll meet again Spider-Man it's like, <laughs> how, how do you get away with doing that and yet people still love it yeah
5: tone it's all tone if you're gonna if you're gonna embrace it from the get go you know and uh, and have going back and re-watching uh, Spider-Man there are the scenes that, that are you know burned into our brain they're big action set pieces and and character moments, but but the one that that really caught my eye watching it again was Peter uh, fighting Flash in the hallway, and mm-hmm. the the really effective way that Raimi shows his powers. You know, it's something as simple as 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 allowing Toby to sort of slow down and and process it much faster, and then quickly it speeds back up and you know, just him, him nailing that tone and figuring out it's, you know, it has some of his evil dead touches to it. It has things that he brought to dark man. Um, and I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have picked him for Spider-Man back in the day, but, but now you realize that, you know, he's the blueprint. He really is. He he kind of established how to, how to tell
1: these stories and tell them the right way. I I think that happens with most of these products though, where you'll, you, you, you know, when they announce, Oh, this person's doing this, or this person's doing that. How many times have we actually seen it where they've announced things and the, and then you suddenly get a public outcry of oh god not them you know because we had it with we had it with Robert Pattinson for 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 Batman for, for the Batman and we had it back in the day for Michael Keaton for the for that 1989 Batman as well and everybody there was an outcry and then suddenly when the films come out it almost makes more of an impact then because they watch them and you'll you'll say. Hold on a minute. I was wrong. This really works. So I think sometimes and quite often these things happen and we are surprised by them. And I think that's why it works.
4: I think what we've learned as a society is, if you're ever casting a Batman movie, just expect everyone to be angry and then probably to end up being wrong after the fact. (laughs) <laughs> Michael Keaton, Heath Ledger, Ben Affleck, Robert Pattinson—like the the world—decried all four of those, and then the, it was just like, "Oh, our bad. We were wrong. Uh, they are I mean, yeah, they good.
3: They're right about Clooney, though. Right? <laughs> well, He's still he, a
4: great he, Bruce Wayne. Dang it!
3: Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say
4: even that. I don't know how much of that was Clooney's fault. Like, I don't know how much he yeah. could have helped to that. <laughs>
1: It reminds me, actually, I I feel sorry for Henry Cavill because I think he's been given short shrift as Spider, as Superman. I mean, because I think he did, I think he was incredible, but just was not given enough to do, and it's like they've pushed him aside. And I think he could have given a lot more. I thought he had the presence to for that role.
5: You know what I find exciting about the next generation coming up, though, too, is that now that we're twenty years into this golden age of comic book movies. I think you're legitimately going to be getting into younger and up and coming filmmakers uh, who really were raised on these movies, you know, who really were fans uh, and are now taking over properties uh, and can legitimately say I was influenced by these early days where, you know, when you handed something over to Raimi was a Marvel fan, you know. But I don't I don't know how much Brian Singer knew about the X-Men versus that was just a a gig for him to take on. You know, Uh, I don't think Richard Donner grew up reading Superman, but he made a tremendous Superman movie. Um, I do think we're going to see some really comic accurate transitions, you know, from some from some really rabid comic book fans now that that sort of. Not that it was a, a blatant stigma, but comics weren't as cool in the 70s and 80s, you know, and now it's become, it's the driving force of pop culture. And I think it's going to shape the types of stories that are told, you know, I mean, there's, the, the new Raimi is out there somewhere. And I think he's going to be found in a, he or she is going to be found in a, in a superhero movie.
2: I mean, it's the same way that's happened with video games, right? Where like a whole generation has grown up with video games. And we've seen that genre move forward in a lot of ways because people are now in control of studios and things that were immersed in it. And before that yep. was just this big stigma that like, oh, it's not a career it's not this, it's whatever it's, it's basic things. And now we see that all this stuff is being transitioned to movies and film. Now and that's a whole other thing, right? Yeah. I agree with you. I feel like comics and especially now too, because these studios have shown they're willing to be a little experimental and they're bringing in all these characters. I mean, the fact that we have an America Chavez in the MCU now is, you know, is, is amazing but you're just going to keep going down the list of new characters or side characters. And it opens up more possibilities for those filmmakers to find someone they really identify with and just jump all in. It doesn't have to be Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, you know,
5: yeah. it can be we're face. now at a point where Reed Richards <laughs> can get introduced as a, as a throwaway <laughs> in a, in yeah. a Dr. Strange sequel. Agree. So, <laughs> what? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I said earlier today on Twitter, uh, if the X Men eventually slash finally coming into the MCU doesn't mean that I eventually get either a Jubilee movie or TV show, then what the hell are we even doing here? Oh, yes. it's happening. Yeah. That's
5: yeah. happening. We, we
1: need they need to do a decent Jubilee character in the films and not waste the character like they have done before. And
2: yes. Have I- struck upon the ultimate jubilee group in this in this meeting uh, right now this huge. Is oh, with me I'm, yeah 100 yeah, percent. oh yeah. my god i'm always so alone
4: <laughs> <Our> <laughs> tremendous oh, this fan. is
2: amazing she's oh, outstanding wonderful i have she's, she's spectacular even as a vampire i don't even oh, care i love the I'm vampire jubilee yeah, yeah i awesome. have a wall
4: over here that is all framed comic book Frame Well, framed comic books, and it alternates. There's a variant cover, a cover with Jubilee on it. Variant cover, a cover with Jubilee on it. Just nice. all across my wall. Uh,
1: really,
3: Applause. <laughs> applause. I mean, I'll, I'll quickly
1: add that I thought that America Chavez was fantastic, that character in the Doctor Strange film. I, I loved that character. I thought that was really well mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Agreed.
2: I wish I would have seen more of her and her backstory, because mm-hmm. that's what's part of what's so cool about her. But- You know, I'm also not going to be the dude that's like, how dare you put her in a movie and make her like one of eight characters? Like, it's okay.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) think there's going to be more of her to come. I think she's going to be important in the story going ahead that they're probably going into. Otherwise, why would you bring a character that's so important as that to the in the Marvel universe why would you bring that just in as a side character i think there's more to it to be to be yeah, honest in my there opinion there seems
3: sure. to be a lot with her parents as well that, that didn't get answered like i think she said that her parents were opened into like another multiverse and that mm-hmm. question never got answered so. yeah
5: to circle it back around to Raimi, yep this is how far we've come in 20 short years like 20 years in the landscape of of movie making and storytelling is is kind of a blip you know, and we're talking about a movie where we all went through our memories of seeing Spider-Man and we were just impressed to see he, that he looked accurate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now we're like, well, America Chavez is jumping through multiverses and <laughs> it's crazy how fast we've yeah. evolved. Then this genre has evolved. And, uh, you know, there's been hits and misses that have helped shape the road for sure. But um, but it's remarkable uh, where we are now. I don't think I don't think that can be overstated. You know, the the sheer number of superhero properties that are existing and and are still good. It's not we're not flooding the market with mediocrity. It's still really impressive. Even just the
1: small. go go on, bro.
4: Oh, I was just going to say I got a kick out of it. This is mild spoilers for the very end of Eternals, but I got a kick out of we're at the point where the end credits reveal scene is Pip the troll. (laughs) like that's how far we've come that we're our big reveal is like oh pip the troll is around now (laughs) very Very true
1: true. well i was going to say now
4: oh no i'm sorry
1: (laughs) it's hard to to follow up pip the troll honestly (laughs) it really is it really is i was going to say what it was is just to come back to the spider-man issue of it all even in that it's amazing how far the spider-man franchise just on its own has come over that time because since that first Raimi film we've now got you know the the incredible spider verse film and the the follow-ups that they're making um and i believe they've got one of the uh, the japanese tv version from the late 70s that character's going to be in the next spider verse film allegedly oh, wow. as well uh, what was it is it Takaya Yami- yamashiro is it Sean? is that it i believe so I I wouldn't swear
5: to it, but I believe so. That sounds about right. He's I know he's a motocross uh, rider, and yeah. he's not quite Peter Parker, the photographer. Um, but Lord Miller said at CinemaCon that that those two that two part movie is going to have two hundred and forty characters. So I don't doubt for a minute that he's going to show up at some point. Yeah, that's going to be madness when they fully unleash that.
1: Wow, it's uh, crazy.
5: So um... well, and don't forget the uh, the sp- spump the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters, Marv. You can't, you can't leave out the madam Webbs and, <laughs> oh, yes. the, uh, and the Kraven, the hunters of, the, I'm of them. I'm just happy we're getting Spider-Woman in uh, some form.
2: I yes. please, yeah. please, Lord, hope that it's Jessica Drew. And if that... I feel I'm always tentative until I actually like see a, some kind of logo or like, hey, we're in production or something because we've been burned so many times over the years. Sure. But I want to see... Like I, I want to see that character. That character could be so great in this in this universe. Is that what they're calling
5: it by the way? Is it a fit like what is the official term for the Sony Marvel universe so, thing? The it's the Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel characters. The acronym is Spunk. <laughs>
4: oh, that's new to me, but I like it. I'll endorse that. The SPUNKS <laughs> Just watch how
1: you say
5: it. Yeah. You gotta be you gotta be really careful. But but they have, they have access to, without exaggeration, 700 characters uh, that are affiliated with Spider-Man that they that they can use, uh, uh, according to their agreement with, with Marvel, between Sony and Marvel.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have only two access... that they
5: can't. There's only two that they can't. It's like Kingpin uh... and one other. I forget who the other one is, that they can't have access to. I can't, can't remember who it is.
2: But if they... they're going to have access to a slew of characters, Spider-Man's, Gallery is the one to do it.
5: Yeah. So yeah, and when you go through the list because it's available somewhere, there's a PDF of it online if you just search for it. It's a staggering number of like characters you just wouldn't even know. You know, like there's people like the Enforcers, and you know, you know characters that that would be familiar to everybody. And then there's just like any sort of organization that was mentioned at some point over the decades. Like they could branch off and make if they wanted to, you know, a a Stilt Man movie essentially <laughs> and and the way they're rolling out el muerto i mean maybe that's maybe that's going to happen yeah
4: bad bunny way to go yeah, bunny. <laughs> well,
5: uh,
4: uh, it just oh, it just occurred to me they could make an animated superior foes of spider-man movie and how good would that be after what we saw from into the spider-verse
1: very true yeah. Yep. yeah and um, also another thing that shows how far we've come with the Spider-Verse was the was how they did with No Way Home as well, which, you know, the way that they brought all those characters from the old, the other Spider-Man films, you know, including the, the actual individual Spider-Man characters, I think they did really well to pull out the best bits of those interpretations to bring into the film as well. So you got... When you got Toby in there and you got Andrew in there and you've got Alfred Molina in there and and everybody else. I mean, I thought I thought Jamie Foxx killed it in comparison to how he was in in the in the amazing Spider-Man beforehand. So I think they've done really well with that as well. And that's showing how far we've come in this the world of superhero films as well.
4: Yeah, for I think sure. Kevin Feige very much wants to do reclamation projects where he wants to look at things that weren't beloved and he wants to give us a reason to go back and love it like end game played so heavily into Thor the Dark World that we were like, was that better than I think it was? Maybe I should. Shang-Chi really made Iron Man 3 look a lot better in retrospect. And no matter what your opinion of the various Spider-Man movies that Mark Webb or Sam Raimi did, I think Kevin Feige just took all the elements and was like, everything about these is great. No matter what side you're on, no matter what you think of either franchise, love all of it. I think he's just so into taking things that people thought like, ah, maybe that wasn't for me and making us question whether that was ever actually the case or not. Mm,
1: that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a bit like um, going to the, going back, going to the, the, the latest Dr. Strange film again, you know, with those characters that they've brought back from other, you know, from now that they've got all the Fox things back, the Fox properties that they had, it's like, like I was saying before we, we started, you know, with the, the, the Anson Mount of uh, playing Black Bolt, for instance, and then you've got, you know, Patrick Stewart reprising the role of Professor X, and then you've got, um, spoiler, I mean, I've already spoilt enough already, Krasinski as, you know, as Mr. Fantastic, it's like they've lent into that and they've given you a really good interpretation of them, although... My irritation is there's not enough of them in that film, which which niggles at me in a way, because they are such good actors that if you gave them just about another five minutes or so, I think that that sequence would have worked better if you'd have filled those out a bit more, because there's no way that they've got Krasinski in for a role like that as a one-off. So my call here is that very soon we'll get Fantastic Four announced. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can't
5: argue against that fact. And, you know, with John Watts stepping away from that project makes me almost kind of believe that he was a placeholder until they were able to reveal that Krasinski was playing Reed Richards, you know, in, in this movie. And that then now he'll step over and and helm and potentially star in, you know, that Fantastic Four. And I, I even think that Watts might have just done it, like, completely amicably as a favorite to fight Like, Feige, I wonder if... He, because it never really made a ton of sense for John Watts to move from the Spider-Man franchise to another massive property like Fantastic Four. Um, Marvel doesn't necessarily, or hasn't yet, to this point, uh, shared their directors, except the Russos. But the Russos transitioning from Civil War to the Avengers movies made made enough sense at that point. Yeah. Um, and and you know John Watts, for anyone who was paying attention, was just burned out. By the end of uh, No Way Home, you know, and and totally understandably why, like that's a massive project to take on. So to to I could see him transitioning into if he was going to stay at Marvel, a smaller sort of origin story. But but Fantastic Four is going to have to be a behemoth right out of the gate. Yeah, uh, the way you introduce that family. So I was always surprised that he was the person selected for it, and it makes a lot more sense that he's stepping away.
1: Agreed. I think he'd be a good. He'd be good as an advisor, perhaps, because I I always used to think that. But then again, I've got the memory of all these, these comics that I've read and cartoons from back in the day where you'd have the Fantastic Four suddenly appearing with Spider-Man or vice versa. There's always been a link in my head between those properties anyway because they were the first, they were the the out-of-the-gate properties from Marvel anyway, so they've got that history to them. For sure. That's another
5: great example of uh, we now live in a world where Matt Murdock shows up in a scene. <laughs> We all all mark out for it. And we're like, I guess uh,
1: Daredevil's part of this world now. That's great. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) But but there shows, Kevin Feige's, you know, wonderful ability to, so they've got these properties that they can use and he's worked out that person is perfect in this role because I still think that Daredevil was the better of the Marvel Netflix series. I think that was the standout from all of them i like i like a lot of the, what they did but i just think that that one had something really special and charlie cox killed it in that role and i think that that's what kevin feige is really good at noticing that he's looking at these properties and he might be thinking well that might not have worked in that role but this person definitely worked in that role so perhaps he's doing a bit of that now when we're seeing that with him utilizing Charlie and Patrick Stewart and these people and in some cases recasting here where it didn't work initially and that sort of thing
4: yeah well based on the movie that we came here to talk about and what you're saying right there Kevin Feige had the foresight to go nobody wants anybody besides J.K. Simmons to play Jonah Jameson (laughs) just bring him back (laughs) no one's gonna take anybody but him it's fine so true yeah, I so agree. He's so, so indicative
2: he, he, of the the tone like the tone of this movie cuz like what you were talking about before where it leans into the the camp a little bit is I mean this this character doesn't work in almost like yes he worked in when they <laughs> brought him in everyone popped for him and far from home, right? But it was because it's like a one-off thing. He doesn't work unless the rest of the world supports A ridiculous character like that, and he works so well, and it's just it's it's so weird because there are parts of this movie that I'm like, God, that line is corny. God, that line. Why is he saying that? It's so weird. It just stands out so much. And then you get to another scene, and he's you know, get the pictures, Parker, (laughs) and this is talking all the thing, and it's just you just buy into it, and you're like, All right, whatever.
1: he captures that character captures it yeah I was going to say he captures that character so perfectly doesn't he though Simmons is like he's the one character where he is the right level of over the top yeah out there that yep. you have with jay jonah jameson because it's always been like that even when you read the comics you'll see all the the speech bubbles. And the words will be enormous because it's it's like the shouting, the speech bubbles at you with that character. And he pulled it off wonderfully.
4: One of the best things about a movie is when you watch it and you can just feel inside of you how much fun the actor is having yeah. in that role. <laughs> and you watch the first Spider-Man movie, anything in the Raimi trilogy that J.K. Simmons is on the screen for. And you're just like, this guy is having the time of his life. Yeah. Because you have an actor who can do this and then, you know go off to shoot some scenes for Oz the next day. And it's just like, all right, man, I guess he's just living his best life doing every version of everything.
1: Absolutely. And then, but like, like we're going back to the casting again, aren't we? You know, where everybody was perfect in their role. Although I, I will say what what Sean said, actually, I think he's right that in a sense, Willem Dafoe was incredible in the first one, but in the latest one, it's like, a growth in the character and a growth in his ability in his acting as well, where he's taken that character to another role, another, a whole another level. But yeah, it's all about the casting. And, you know, I think they've pulled it off perfectly. Kirsten Dunst, you know, as MJ. and everything. Well, one yeah. thing
5: he, that uh, Defoe doesn't have to do in No Way Home is establish. You already know who Norman is. Uh, he's got this history of being manipulative. You're almost when he's at Feast, you know, and he's uh, acting like he's the wounded puppy. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop, and then when it drops, it's it's enorm, it's fantastic. Um, you know, if we lament anything, it's that Toby and and uh, that version of Norman Osborn didn't get a, a rematch fight. Essentially, I would like mm-hmm. to see. I would like to see them go toe to toe just for a little bit, but if I like the goblin, I don't know if that was due to reshoots, but like, he just kind of shows up at the end of the battle, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's, there's a, there's a great bit of moment where the Spider-Man are sort of trading punches with the different heroes. And that's one of the thrills to me of no way home is getting a chance to say like, Oh, Toby Spider-Man got to fight the lizard. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Or, Oh, Tom's Tom Spider-Man got, you know, caught by Sandman. Like that's, that's really wild. Um, and I would have liked to see you know a little bit more of the goblin show up, but
4: I think that they did that. I don't. I, it may have something to do with reshoots. You're right, but I think they wanted the Green Goblin to feel like the final boss of that movie. Like you yeah, have sure. all these kind of underling villains, but the Green Goblin is the boss fight.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're going back to computer games here, aren't you, Rob?
4: <laughs>
1: like Green that, Goblin it? is Bowser. Yeah. You're at this level.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: and uh, much I wish Andrew Martin's had a point, line.
5: I wish Andrew okay. had a line that just said like, Andrew should have had a line that was like, my Goblin looked way sillier than you do. <laughs> <laughs> How come you don't look so weird? My, mine
2: looked really weird. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, well, and Martin mentioned Kirsten Dunst as as MJ. And one of the things I did not, I was not a fan of Dunst, Dunst is <laughs> MJ uh, from like when I first saw it. like it was fine, but like I was never like, like, I don't know, it just didn't click for me. And so when I was going into it, I was kind of prepared to have that same feeling. And I and I came away actually very much appreciating her in a different way, uh, mostly from her scenes with Toby. Because there's like two key scenes between them throughout this movie where, especially one where they're at the the house, like they're at his house and, and she was just like, left uh, her dad yelling at her and everything out of the house. And they have a conversation and then mm. later on there's another conversation right there in the street cuz that's when he realizes like she's not acting yet and stuff like that and there's a there's a sense that like Holland has done a really good job of this but Raimi captured a genuineness in that version of Peter Parker that I don't think has been touched and mm. it's really impressive because if Toby is not all the way listening She's having reactions to him just like listening to her, like even through while she's talking. It's really impressive. Like I came away going like, okay, maybe I was wrong. Like maybe I I shortchanged her when I first watched this because there's some really great stuff between them going on. So I wanted to give her props because I felt I felt bad. I was like self-conflicted when i was watching, <laughs> watching no i again. i
4: 100 agree i've always thought like oh she's definitely one of the weaker points in the original trilogy and then when i re-watched the 2002 film today i was like i like her much more than i swear i used to yeah that's how sure. and I it's definitely never... her performance because i don't think her character is written great but yeah. her performance is a lot better than i think i used to give it credit for
5: I can't understand. And one of the things that bothered me about the first Raimi film, if, if, if probably the the main thing that bothered me about the main Raimi film, is that if you're going to start with Mary Jane, fine, start with Mary Jane. Although I think they should have started with Gwen. But why they started with Mary Jane and then and then leaned so heavily into the most famous Gwen Stacy element, which is you put her <laughs> on the top of a bridge. I, I When I first saw that, and I, I, look, I was being nitpicky fanboy. <laughs> but I was like, why did they do that? How come they yeah. took MJ and put her into the, the the significant Gwen Stacy scene? And then the more I thought about it after the fact, I was like, then if you're going to put her up there, then you should just kill her off. You know, because while she's an, she's an important element of part two, because of the way that it's written, by the time you get to three, three is really just people are coming back because they're part of the franchise now, yeah. you know, like, and I, I kind of give credit to superhero movies at this point now that they are okay with cutting bait, you know, and moving on to uh, to new characters. If, if the, if the other people don't necessarily fit into the franchise, it's not always just like, well, we're doing the next so-and-so. So we're going to bring everybody back because you yeah. recognize these faces. Um, but in, in the Raimi trilogy, by the time you got to three, it really was like everyone needed screen time uh, because that's just the way sequels were made at that point. And, uh, and it always bothered me that they kept the, the main love interest around when, when one of the things that Spider-Man fans appreciate the most is the loss that's affiliated with Gwen Stacy and how it would have affected Peter uh, going into two, you know, it would have given him a true motivation for not wanting to be the hero anymore, you know, and throwing the, throwing the suit away. So I, some of those elements I always felt like could have been worked out a little bit better in the script. We'll go
4: ahead into- to say this about something that Sam Raimi did, but do you think killing Mary Jane or killing a love interest in this franchise would have been too dark for what this franchise was shooting for? Maybe
5: probably. Yeah, I think so. You know, that I think that there are things that comic book movies can do now because the audience is is more attuned to these shocks. Um yeah, I think you're 100% right in saying that.
2: I mean, I was wrecked and Amazing, you know, in in um oh my god, Andrew Garfield Amazing thank 2. You. I was blanking on his amazing name, but <laughs> Andrew Garfield. I was shocked when I mean, when they kill Gwen there, spoiler I know for that movie. But like when they kill Gwen <laughs> there like that, that that still rocked me. The it was the way it was executed and everything. I was still that hit me yeah, like a. that's such a ton brutal breaks. death scene as well. Oh, it's terrible! My God, it's the sound. Yeah, too. It's the, the way can they, they execute that. Break. Yeah, oh bad. my God, yeah. it still wrecks me. It still wrecks me. So maybe at the time, I I think for sure, probably too. But but I think to Um, to Sean's point, it was weird that they combined those things. And that, so then, okay. So if you are going to go that route, I was like, well, then why? My biggest pet peeve with Marvel sometimes, when it comes to Spider Man, is that like, it's okay to wreck his life but you don't have to wreck everything about his life. People typically need at least one or two things of stability to like be sane, right. (laughs) And make it through all these things. And so they sometimes refuse to just let them be happy. Like it's okay to actually have something in your life, like happy, especially like Spider-Man is like one of the most tragic characters around, right? He's had so many things happen to him like had to go around another person's body and like, you know what I mean? Like so many things. So let him like, let's develop a relationship and you can still have so many interesting conflicts with people together. Like you can actually make conflict. And sometimes it's Hollywood does this thing of like, we want to the will or won't they. And that gets very boring very quickly, Mm -hmm. if not executed correctly. So at the end of this, they it's such a great scene. And then they do that little swerve of like, but I have to turn away for a hero. And I was like, why? You were being such a dumbass. Like, why do you have to do that? <laughs> you can actually do both, Peter. You're a scientist. You're supposed to be smart. You can do both things. It's okay. Like, I don't know. I, I saw that and was like, really? Like, really, we got to do that? Because then in two, right, we spent so much time on that. And I was like, well, I would rather just see them develop a real relationship over the course of a movie instead of this parroting apart part thing. And I think that feeds mm-hmm. into Sean's point of like, by three, you're just like, okay, it, it's too... You know, they never really went one way or the other with it. So then you just kind of end up in the middle,
1: and right, right nothing's developed. So yeah, well, the pr- problem with three is that there were too many, um too many problems in the way with that film. Anyway, where you had pressure from certain people to do this sort of thing, that sort of thing, and the other. So you 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 feel bad in a way for Sam Raimi because he's being told, "No, we want this in there and want that in there," and essentially he was making a film that he didn't really want to make. Mm. In, in essence that's that happens yeah. you know especially in, in franchises that
5: are making the amount of money that those spider-man movies are making and it's it's worth pointing out that i think i believe that spider-man 3 is the most successful of them of them all financially yeah i think you're right of the three Raimis, anyway you know the, the the marvel ones have now surpassed it but because they had venom baby yeah, kids
2: love
4: Venom. <laughs> People love
5: Venom.
2: Everyone except Sam Raimi loves Venom. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we were all there day one to see that '70s Show' guy play Venom. <laughs> that's still such
2: an odd casting, oh, even all these casting years later. So
5: bizarre. <laughs> I know that,
2: there's cast... No shade on Topher Like Tofer Graze is awesome. He's been in other stuff. He's been
5: great. So that's no shade. But just such an odd pairing. It really is at least i can understand what tom hardy is doing now you know like it's it's a very unusual choice to do venom as as a buster keaton physical comedy <laughs> but if you're gonna do it do it and, and he's committed to it you know 100 percent. but
1: whatever they were trying to do in three they just didn't get it they didn't get it, it it's funny you mention that because it's just reminded me that when the when spider-man 3 came out or was coming out and they were advertising the whole thing with venom I I had this image and I thought, oh, great. We're going to get the alien costume saga in in live action. And it was so far from that as well. But unfortunate. Mm
4: -hmm. You didn't remember the part in the comic books where Peter grew his hair out over his face and went jazz dancing?
5: (laughs) No, no, I don't remember that. (laughs) Yeah, Todd McFarlane drew it. It looked great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God.
2: That would have been amazing. Oh, my Lord. Can we get variant of that place yeah that would be fantastic <laughs> mcfarland peter with long <laughs> hair over his face. those scenes are so bad but then i also it's one of those things that it, they always get a pass because i know ramy didn't want to do the thing anyway and was i always view them more as a middle finger
4: to the studio than i do actual <laughs> scenes you know so Honestly, my take on Spider-Man 3 is it gets so much crap for the the emo Peter Parker stuff, but you watch Spider-Man 3 and then you watch this movie and it's like, what from Spider-Man three wouldn't fit in this movie? Uh, it's the true. same exact tone. I don't understand why people got the three and was like, well, no, this is stupid. Is this stupider than the scene on the rooftop where like the Green Goblin smacks Spider-Man in the head <laughs> and then leans out on a skylight? Like these movies are all about having weird, <laughs> silly <also> weird. visuals. <laughs> yeah, so the, very yeah, true. The,
3: the dialogue in Spider-Man three is like incredible as well. Like he's just like, I'm gonna put some dirt in your eye. I think that's in Spider-Man yeah. three. Uh, There's a bit as well where it's like, uh, you want forgiveness, uh, get religion. That's a great line. Uh, Just the the dialogue is just ramped up by a hundred in that one.
5: I like playing a fun game of um, all the different roles that Gwen Stacy has in Spider-Man 3. Like when we first (laughs) meet her, she's in Peter's class. Like she's the competitive uh, classmate who's smarter than he is. Later on, she's a fashion model uh, (laughs) getting her picture taken for like photocopiers Uh, Then at some point she's so prevalent that she, uh, you know, hosts the Spider-Man fan appreciation parade. (laughs) There's all (laughs) these different things that they keep attaching to Gwen. So that's that's the worst dialogue ever in any film of all time. When uh, Eddie Brock shows up and (laughs) they're like, who is that hanging up there? And he's like, I think it's Gwen. Oh, by the way, I'm dating your daughter. It's like,
4: yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> that was rough. Yeah, she's
5: hanging for her life, for God's <laughs> sakes. That's not the time, Eddie. <laughs> oh my God, it's so true. <laughs> um,
1: do, so the the different Spider-Man films that they've made since, uh, do, do, can you think of any areas where they might have where they've where they've gone really right with the films, and some areas where they've gone wrong with the films?
3: Uh, I'm not a massive fan of Ned, to be honest. I'm not. I don't know what you guys think about him.
1: Ned is
5: exactly the type of character that I was talking about earlier. That would have been terrific for Homecoming, and then yeah. didn't need to stay around.
3: 100% <laughs> didn't necessarily yeah. need to be a big part of. And hey, listen, hey, apparently he's going to become the next villain. I've heard no, stop. Since, yeah, no. That's <laughs> what I've heard. stop it. Stop yeah. it. No, stop. That's be going to happen if Marvel
1: that. go
2: away from this. Yeah. I think I love Ned because I see myself in Ned. <laughs> if I was the <laughs> if I was the like friend of a superhero, I'd be exactly like Ned. Like I would be exactly
5: like him. Question. And that's why easy. he was perfect for Homecoming. Sure. You know, yes. like yes. he was the counterpart to this kid who was suddenly an Avenger, and it was yeah. so earnest. And then I just felt like the other times, like from Far From Home and and No Way Home, they weren't better in No Way Home. You know, but now all of yeah. a sudden he can open portals. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I I think I always compare him to I think he gets a he gets probably gets a little bit of a pass from me. One, because yes, I see myself in him. But two, I just do not like, and again, no shade to the actor, but I just do not like Flash in the new movies. Never, oh, yeah. Yeah, never totally resounded for me. So because I'm always seeing him, not that's the one that's like, man, it sticks out to me all the time. So I'll probably just ignore <laughs> other other things. But yeah, it just doesn't even the one in this Spider-Man is the first one is better because that's like, okay, he's, he's kind of a bully. He treats him like a jerk. He's kind of this yeah. and that he's, he's the, you know, he's the popular guy. Like all that comes across and you're like, okay, like, yeah, it's bare bones and it needs development, obviously, but still I know that's flash. And then I watch these movies and I'm just like, that never comes. It never, I can't buy that guy as uh agent venom later. You know what I mean? Like I <laughs> no. can't, I can't buy it. <laughs> I can't buy that guy. Like you dude? could
4: buy Joe Manganiello as turning into Agent Venom eventually, getting a, a <laughs> conscience, becoming yeah. his own hero. Like weird, no, dorky fanboy flash. Yeah, it's like, no, you're not going to be a hero. It's not going to happen for you. What what, what
1: what what? Sean said, though, about you know Ned being perfect for Homecoming, it's almost like he would be like us if we were best friends of a superhero. Say if we were best friends of Batman. If he went out to the toilet we'd be there fidgeting and playing with all of his gadgets. And that's Ned to a T. Yeah. There's a, just a simple visual gag when they're in his uh,
5: room, just sort of brainstorming what to do next. And they eventually cut back and Ned's wearing the mask. Because of course you'd grab the mask and put it on. A <laughs> It's like 100%. So...
2: I mean, grown up, Paul Rudd grabbed the shield when Chris Evans was in the bathroom. Like, we're all going to do it. Like, no matter what age, I feel like it's, it doesn't matter if you're 60 or you're five, you're going to grab it. You're like, yeah, I want to try that. Course.
5: that yeah, cool. Of course. That looks
2: cool. Of course. I actually got a jet early uh, i, I got to come back. But this has been amazing. I really wish I could just sit on here and, and talk more because this has been so fun. I, I really appreciate everyone inviting me on.
1: Okay, Matt, do you want to quickly tell everybody how to get hold of you and where where to find you and everything and all about Comic Book Nation? uh,
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, You can check out our Comic Book Nation podcast live on Twitch on Fridays at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, And then, of course, we are on Sunday mornings on Paramount Plus as well as part of ET Live. Uh, And then you can catch all my uh, fun theatrics, typically just talking about Olaf and wrestling and comics, uh, on Twitter at MattAguilarCB. And, of course, uh, you can catch all my articles on comicbook.com. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for this. Take care. No, you
1: guys have a great day. Cheers. Bye. Right. So um
4: actually, it makes me feel better because the last time I talked with you, Marv, I was the one who had to jet early. Yes, I'm in that's for the true. long haul today. I don't have to run away this time.
1: You are. But I think I think Sean's busy today, aren't you? Sean?
5: I'm gonna bounce. Yeah. But I mean, if any any other topics you want to go over before I scoot off?
1: I don't know what to say. Have you got any um Here we go. A bit of advert promotion for yourself. Have you got any sort of like stories that you know or anecdotes to do with these Sam Raimi films that you found out during your research? So much. Um,
5: I spent a lot of time on the first Raimi film because, you know, as we know, it's the one that started it all. And I got a chance to speak with John Dykstra uh, and, and figure out a lot of the stuff that they did with visual effects to make him look convincing. And the way that they did um, comparative shots between a stuntman trying to pull off even just wall crawling, you know, they were really trying to figure out the physics of of bringing the the, the motion that Spider-Man does uh, in a comic book to live action, and then and then visual effects where they were able to get to, uh, and and apparently they screened both of them for the studio executives. They had a fully visual uh, this VFX driven Spider-Man walking up the wall. And, and again, because he's completely masked, uh, it's easier to do it because the human face is one of the most difficult things for them to do at that time. Uh, and then they had a stuntman do it. And they said that the studio executives couldn't tell the difference between like, who was the stuntman and who was the visual effect. And that gave them the confidence to do as much as they could in the live action. But the person who I enjoyed speaking to the most was the costume designer, uh, Jim Atchison, who worked on all three of the Raimi films and got uh, very candid uh, about the distaste uh, for uh, for Spider-Man 3 and the black costume and and how no one in there he really believed that the black suit by the time they got to that point should have been completely uh, a visual effect of VFX and and the fact that they had to just do the black suit version of what the existing uh, costume was bothered him to no end. He also tells some really great stories about when the, by the time he got hired on to the, to the movie, they'd already um, hired out a creative team to do Goblin's mask. And he hated it. Like just hates everything about the shell of the Goblin mask. And in fact, it's funny you were bringing up the, the rooftop scene. He said, when he sat down to watch that movie opening weekend or, or with an audience, that was the scene that he feared the most because he just knew how goofy it was going to look, because Willem Dafoe had to speak through that, you know, with the mask, the little mouth that opened, and you. Could, he's like, we we didn't solve how to have Willem Dafoe give a performance <laughs> through that mask. Um, but you know, he talked at length about the the time crunch that they were on for that movie and, and designing the suit um, and needing it to fit a body type, uh, because they had up to that, you know, you could have up to fifteen different stuntmen who always have to be wearing the suit and look exactly like Toby so that, you know, you don't know who's in the shot essentially in that moment. And they were really waffling about who they were going to cast. And um, Jim just kept saying to Sam, like, I need to know, you know, what it's going to look like, what, what the main character is going to look like. So at one point he tells this great story about how he was so fed up with Sam uh, being so indecisive. And going back and forth that he filled a room with 20 uh, men in Speedos of all different body types. And he brings Sam Raimi in and he just says, point at one. Like, <laughs> point. what is he going to look like? And he said Raimi was, you know, in his suit and couldn't look more flustered and essentially just points at a guy who was pretty ripped, like a bodybuilder type thing. And James Ashton's like, great you know i'm going to go forward from that point on and, and design it that way and then he goes and then he goes and chooses cast, cast toby maguire who is this you know string bean beanpole of a, of an actor and uh you know so but he tells great stories about them not realizing that, you know, Spider-Man's face is covered for for, uh, completely. And how do you have an actor, you know, in that suit for, for the amount of time that they have to be. And that's where, you know, we see uh, pictures now of like the eyes being taken out and where Tom Holland sipping on a straw, you know, to drink something. And, uh, you know, these are all things that they have to solve in the moment. And I, I love all the behind the scenes stuff about that. And so there's a ton of great stories for, for for the Raimi films and the web films and, and then all through the Marvel stuff uh, in the book. So. But the, I love that story about <laughs> Ramy pointing at Dude and
1: speedos. Classic. So, so when you when you were when you were starting to come up with the, to, came up with the idea for doing the book, what 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 was the initial? How did you plan out how you were going to write the book and everything? You the, how does it go? Do you do the research and then write the book? How how did you plan that out? The the first story that I wanted to to explore which
5: made me realize uh, initially the book was going to be about um, versions of Spider-Man movies that never came to pass. Uh, I was going to do some stuff on the Jim Cameron one. I was going to do some stuff on the Canon films and all that stuff ends up going in there. Um, But the, the the story of Andrew Garfield going to Comic-Con and surprising the fans uh, in the audience where he takes, you know, takes off the mask and and gives that extremely heartfelt speech. I go back and rewatch that speech, you know, every couple of months essentially because I just find it to be so uplifting. And as I started noodling through, like, what could I write about from spider mans standpoint? I was like, I want to know, I want to know the story behind that day, you know, like who, who came up with that idea? Uh, how did they pull it off? Where did that store-bought costume come from? You know, what was the vibe before it and after it? So I got a chance to talk to, to Avi and, and Matt Tomac, uh, who is the producer on all the Raimi films and then the web films and Amy Pascal uh, and, and Andrew about and, and just got the, the behind the scenes of that story. And, and once all of those came together and that became like my sample chapter that I sh- shopped around to publishers, I was like, now I'm going to single out all the things that I think are really interesting to Spider-Man fans and try to get the stories behind them. So I have a whole section about Shailene Woodley's uh, Mary Jane Watson and and what happened, you know, why, why that fell apart, essentially. Um, and with the uh, MCU ones, I get into just the ways that they wanted it to be different from what came before it you know it always became like i wanted to study the evolution of this character and what did all these different people learn at all these uh, different stages to get us to the point of where we are now and what i didn't realize when i started doing that is that i didn't even know that no way home was going to be a thing and so now you get to the point where you have a movie where the three generations of spider-man come together uh and and so i, I love the fact that, that that this book tells the story of, of of their stories and then sort of culminates with them sharing the screen so
1: yeah, there's a strange um thing about that where so you've got that with this new book that you've got coming out and then something similar happened with the previous book that you brought out the release the Snyder Cut and all of a sudden yeah. the book came out and they released the Snyder Cut and they released yes yeah, so I'm going to write about a uh, piece in the Middle East next uh, <laughs> it's my third
4: book you yeah. have the magic touch. Go for no, it. I, I must, <laughs> I must. I'm going to write <laughs> the, the story the Snyder- about the time everybody just found a million dollars.
5: The Snyder cut one blew my mind. You know, like the, the, the idea that, that, that I was just intrigued by that story. And I was intrigued by what happened to Zach. And I was intrigued by his fan base fighting so hard to, to, to realize it and to get it, to get it uh, recognized in some way, shape or form. And I, I always intended that to have an open-ended uh conclusion of just like if this movie ever comes to pass uh these are probably the people who made it happen and then uh literally as i'm getting up to the point of having to turn the manuscript into the publisher uh hbo max re- reveals that they're going to announce it and so i basically said to the publisher I was like you got to give me another month you know you got to you got to kick it back because now i got to change a lot and and interview the people who 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 won and give them give them their victory lap so it was a it was a good problem to have
1: so going back to the the first uh sam raimi spider-man film um was was, was everybody in in the in the staff the crew were, were they all set in stone from the off or are there some stories about people that came and went in that as well
5: no everyone who sam sort of brought on board was was on board with the production you know but at that point for for all of them it was a job you know they they didn't realize what they were necessarily putting together and and I don't think that they quite fully understood the significance of the character or the the global popularity of the of the character. It wasn't until that movie sort of came out that they realized what they'd tapped into. Although, you know, Sony will say that they were really excited to all of these studios are really excited when they have a, a property that could potentially become a franchise. Um, but the one of the stories that that blows my mind, you know, to this day, I'll never quite process it, is that. Marvel was trying to license their characters out to these different studios and get these films made. And um, when Sony came around with their offer uh, that they wanted to purchase the rights to Spider-Man, Marvel was just coming out of a bankruptcy and was desperate for an infusion of cash. And they said, hey, we'll give you everyone that we have the rights to uh, for twenty five million dollars. And this, you know, would have been everyone who you see in the MCU right now. The only ones that they couldn't give were the ones who were at Fox at that point, which was the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Uh, but everyone else could have gone to Sony. and Sony said, uh, nah, we're not we don't want. We, we only see value in Spider-Man. So they took Spider-Man for 10 million, but they could have had the entire ensemble for 25. And whoever the guy's name is, John Calley, he was the executive at Sony at that time. And I, I guarantee that dude wakes up every day and just thinks, "Good, what did I do? What did I do? How did I? How did I let that go?"
0: So. I have
4: to say, though, I think the rest of us are all very thankful that he did. A hundred percent. Yes.
5: Absolutely. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's very true. But everything about the first uh, Spider-Man film is absolutely perfect. So you know, you've got the, the great work of uh, you know the sam raimi it is it is but it is best with it with the directing and then the, the music as well is is incredible the music and I, I love the points in the film where the music leans into the old theme tune from back in the day from the comics that we used to do i i always love those bits in the film there's sort of a magic to the to the music itself as well that that fits with the film perfectly
5: for sure but i gotta give a hat tip to, to michael cicchino and the way that he uh, pulled the the 60s, the 1960s theme into the orchestral moments from Homecoming. That gave me such a rise. Um, you know, I think, and I, maybe you guys agree, the reason why Spider-Man 2 is preferred to me is because it just had a, a... Raimi had more confidence. You know, he now realized that, like, people were digging his interpretation of the character. And so that's where you get the Dr. Octopus, you know, birth in the, in the surgery room. And, um, you know... T- like the fact that Sam Raimi can do a, a three minute Peter with mops, you know, joke it, 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 he just has the ability to do that. And, you know, he loves the, the, the goofy physical comedy of that and, and the ability to keep bringing Bruce Campbell back and let him increase his, his part. Uh, yeah, Bruce, Bruce might have my favorite line, you know, in when he changes or gives Spider-Man his name at the wrestling match. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. The definitely. human spider, the human spider that sucks. <laughs>
1: it's,
5: it's great. <laughs> It's just great.
1: And then he brings him back in Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness as well. He does. Yeah. Oh, we, all, exactly. we all sat yeah. through yeah. the credits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that end bit is brilliant with Bruce. That's brilliant. That's great. And he
4: gives the evil dead laugh into the camera, and it's like, yep, okay, that's good. I'm <laughs> that's, here for that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with you, Sean. I think the second one is actually better for for and and I don't I can't. I can't put my hand, I can't put my finger on exactly why, but there's something about it that has a has a quality that the first one didn't quite get. And well, we um, talked
4: about how this movie, the 2002 movie, leans into the campiness, and it does, and I think a lot of times, honestly, to this movie's detriment, it does get a little over-goofy, a little over-campy, and I feel like in the second one, there's definitely still moments like that, but it has definitely reeled itself back in and feels more... The, the stakes feel higher Everything feels a little bit more I don't want to say dire but serious it's Like eh, the train scene Like can you picture the train scene in this movie It wouldn't have fit That would have felt too too momentous For anything else going on here Like, We don't have time for a train scene We have to have a Macy Gray concert Hold on now <laughs> So you get to Spider-Man too, And you can do the train scene And its you look at that scene And it's like yes That is the character of Spider-Man That I've read my whole life Just going about above and beyond what he should be able to do because he has to save people. Yep,
1: very true. Best thing about the Macy Gray scene, though, is uh, is the Stan Lee cameo. <laughs> That's fair.
3: Is that his first cameo, is it, in all of Marvel?
4: No, he was in X-Men before this, definitely. Oh, okay.
1: yeah. yeah. If you go far enough back, he was in some of the... Uh, was, wasn't it? was he in the, uh, the trial of the Incredible Hulk back in the day yes, as well? Yes, he was. Yes, hmm, he was. Yeah, sitting in the jury box. Absolutely. He's he's all over the place, and uh, oh, what's that cartoon that he's in? Oh, can't remember now. He's in a cartoon, well, he in isn't he? That's not any any not a Marvel property, isn't it? Oh. I can't remember what it is. Oh, it's a famous film now. With um, so
5: there's a um there's an I... anecdote on the script uh, before Raimi got his hands on uh, David Kep's version, where Stan was pushing um, a version of a of a screenplay by uh, John Brancato and Ted Newsom. And uh, it was very similar to, you know, it had a lot of similar elements to what Raimi ended up in in, to the point where there was going to be a wrestling scene. uh, But they had scripted Hulk Hogan into the scene. And they were pretty confident that they could get Hulk Hogan for it because Stan Lee was super popular with wrestlers because of his connection to Lou Ferrigno and, uh, you know, just the circles that he ran in in New York City. And I I just would have loved to see Hulk Hogan (laughs) in a Spider-Man movie. That would have been so great. Based on would what he did in Rocky. Would 3. it have been better than Bone Saw? No, probably not.
3: <laughs> bone Saw is terrific.
4: Bone Saw's great savage's voice, man. Like, no one's ever gonna have a voice like him. Right. Very true.
3: We need a bone movie next. Let's get
4: that so
3: Sony will do it. Don't you yeah, say it out loud. Would. Sony will do it. <laughs>
5: <laughs> 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 not that they should, but they will. Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but they keep announcing all these things. And sometimes we don't see these films like, you know, the, the uh, you know, um, uh, Black Sable and all those characters. They've not had their films yet.
4: Yeah. Mm. Like how many different times have they said, oh, we're going to do a Sinister Six movie. It's confirmed. And then nothing comes of that.
1: Well, I think they were I trying for that. That at the end of the Amazing, Amazing, Sp- Amazing Spider-Man, you know, at the end of that, I think they were going towards that sort of level. And then that didn't work out. Well, for sure. sure Drew Goddard was
5: on on tap to he had a screenplay for it and he was going to direct it.
4: Oh the Drew problem Goddard. is they tried to, Oh I didn't know that he was the one who was attached to it. Okay. That would have been he, I was more interested to see it now.
5: <laughs> yeah. He would yeah. he would have directed it and um had a script for it and everything too. The problem is they just tried they tried to build an entire universe in one movie.
3: Yeah. And that's, you know,
5: they lumped everything into Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, would you
3: guys yeah. prefer to have uh, an Amazing Spider-Man 3 or a Spider-Man 4? Inherently, Amazing Spider-Man 3.
4: I want more Andrew Garfield in that role. But if you told me that the rumors are true and if there is a Spider-Man 4, it's going to be about Bruce Campbell being Mysterio, then I have pause. Then you know, I'll question whether I want that or not. But unless that is the story, I definitely want Amazing Spider-Man 3. I think I'd have to
5: agree with that. I I do feel like No Way Home truly gave Toby closure. Uh, whereas I feel like Andrew still got sort of short shrifted. Um, he had great moments in No Way Home, you know, but that franchise got ripped out of his hands. And I would love to see him get one last great shot,
3: you know. And a, he genuinely a, loves the character as well. You can tell so much. Absolutely,
1: yeah, absolutely. That that other one, I had to look it up by the way. The the other um, Stan Lee cameo in a in a film outside of Marvel is uh, Big Hero Six. Oh, right, that's true. Yes,
4: I thought that was a Marvel property though. Like it's not MCU but I thought they did have big hero 6. I might be mistaken on that. I thought no, they, I they were right. doing comics on that first. That might be right, maybe.
1: So, anyway, what what do what do you see then coming in the future for 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 the Spider-Man um franchise, Sean? I think eventually they're going
5: to have a Spider-Man in the in the Sony universe. Um th- there's talk about them wanting to do a mix of very similar to what Marvel does right now where they'll have some Television properties on a streaming service that Sony is yet to launch. Sony is going to have to have a streaming service at some point. Everyone else has one. Warner Brothers is HBO Max, Disney is Disney Plus. Sony's going to have to do one to keep up, and they've, they've tapped Lord Miller to to do. I think Silk is supposed to get a, a a limited series, and I think you might see some characters that that sort of pop up you know, in that format, the way that you're getting a Moon Knight show now or a Hawkeye show or something like that. Um, But the Sony universe is going to need a Spider-Man. And I think because of the establishment of a multiverse, you can still have Tom Holland be the MCU Spider-Man and and audiences would accept the fact that like, oh, there's just a different Spider-Man who's part of that universe. They would even scratch the surface of Miles Morales. Like they could do a, a Miles trilogy that lasts 10 years, you know, like there's still so much to do. Um, and they're, they're going to continue. Sony is never going to stop, stop making these movies because they, okay, Morbius didn't do great, but the two Venom movies made money. You know, they really did. And uh, and, and until they can figure out a way to make a damn Sinister Six movie, because they're not going to give give up. <laughs> they're going to put everything into it. And you know, if if Craven comes around and does well, it's 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 a vote of confidence for what they're doing. So um, I don't see Marvel uh, getting Spider Man back fully. I think so. Sony will hold on to him for as long as they. They possibly can. And uh, and I'd love to see them, you know, introduce a television component and explore some characters that way. They'll continue to do animated features, uh, and as long as they're still as creative as as into the Spider-Verse was, you know, that's it's unlimited. There's plenty of place for imaginative imaginative storytellers to come over and and explore Spider-Man's universe in, in animation. Like who'd have thought we'd have had, if you're a Batman fan, that you'd have a Lego Batman movie, you know, that explored that that entire side. So, um,
1: it's really, it's, it's unlimited the things that they can do. So, yeah. Um, I mean, in, in some ways, um, when, when I watched into the spider verse, I I sort of thought in a sense that if they're able to lean into using Lord and Miller more often, in a sense, use them as their own version of Kevin Feige in essence, Mm -hmm. I think they've got a really good team there. If they, it's it's a bit like it's almost like you need an overarching person who's got the the plan there. And in this case, if you had Lord and Miller there, who obviously have got that scope and the ability to see and have ideas, because God, there's there's nothing like Into the Spider Verse out there. That film is just you've got these films and then you've got that film. So mm-hmm. they've got the ability and the knowledge and the scope to be able to look at these different things. So if you had some peop- people like them in charge, I think their films, they're, you know, Spider-Verse, as they're calling it or S- Spunk, did you say? <laughs> spunk. <laughs> spunk. The Spunk. Thank yes. Thank you. Come on, what get you it right. Say that? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't have the
5: uh, the the you know the draw of the MCU, you know. You could say the MCU yeah. and everyone knows who you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you, if you went on the conversations and brought up the spunk. Uh you're going to get looked at oddly.
1: <laughs> but yeah, if they had people like that actually in charge that had this vision, then I think they'd be in a completely different place than they are of now. Mm-hmm. Of course.
4: I think it's risky though because We've seen so many different individual studios try to do the MCU, and it doesn't work for anyone but the MCU. Universal Mm. wanted to do a, a Dark Monsters universe, and it just fell flat on its face. The DCEU is much better off when they're doing properties that are unrelated to each other, because when they tried to make it an MCU of their own, it just didn't work. And Sony with Venom and Morbius, I mean, these aren't properties that seem like they're going to make a, a big universe anybody cares about. So I think Sony would be better off. And I agree, Lord and Miller, let them handle animated stuff. Let them do, let them do anything they want after Into the Spider Verse. You give them control to do anything they want. But I think you just kind of make properties as they come to you. I don't think you worry about making your own mcu because you don't have kevin feige and he's the only person with the track record to do this right now just make good properties with the talent that you have available
5: star wars has to learn that too and star wars is learning that the hard way as well you know kathleen kennedy is not that person so they should just keep making you know individual type stuff that's not connected to the to the main trilogy Mm -hmm. you know the way that rogue one had to be and You know, even the Mandalorian is now, you know, showing connections to Clone Wars and things like that. Like, go far away. Go do something completely different in the Star Wars universe.
4: Yeah, you have a whole galaxy. It's far away. You can go to anywhere (laughs) in the galaxy. You don't have to have everybody like, oh, I talked to Mando a few days. No, they don't have to. They're fine.
5: We got to go to Tatooine. (laughs) Uh, of course you do
1: (laughs) absolutely I I bet you enjoyed uh, Spider-Verse didn't you Morgs? being an animated fan
3: yeah the Spider-Verse is like one of my favourite films like ever made and I'm just looking forward to if um, there's a good animated Spider-Man series coming in the future because I don't think I've seen one that I've liked quite as much as the 90s one uh, which is uh, it's on Disney Plus as well so you can stream that there as well and it's just like that's one of my favourite shows as well well, they have that freshman year, right? They announced yeah, reckon, the freshman yeah, year I've series. Got, I've got the, the book of that one. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. So that could be really exciting as well, too. Yeah, that would be good too. Absolutely.
1: Anyway, thanks for speaking with me today, guys. So, uh, Sean, where can they find? Uh, where can people find yourself and uh, let people know all about Real Blend, Cinema Blend, and everything that you're doing? Sure, Cinema Blend
5: uh, on a daily basis. We are. Um, you know reporting on all your entertainment needs there we have a weekly podcast called real blend where we do deep dives into the news of the week and we often have a a filmmaker guest on uh, do with two of my friends and then you can find me on social media at sean underscore o'connell because there's a mixed martial arts guy who has my name and (laughs) is extremely popular
1: And he's going and, to, should, uh,
5: you, should
4: you fight him for that
5: name? I, he can have it. <laughs> 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 this is totally fine with me. Um, and then the book is coming out in November 1st. It's up for pre-order uh, right now at, at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all different places where you uh, can order books. So find a uh, discount copy of it and it's called with great power and it's going to trace um, Spider-Man's entire Hollywood history uh, up to this point, which continues to grow. So, Maybe I'll, I'll add, do an addendum in a couple of years, add some more chapters about Venom 3 and, and Madame <laughs> Web, <laughs> whoever Sydney
1: Sweeney is playing. Absolutely. What about yourself, Stu? Stu World Order?
4: Uh, yeah, so I have the Stu World Order podcast where we review random comic book movies drawn by our guest. And my show is nothing but full of happy accidents. So I will be recording two days from now for an episode where somebody randomly drew Spider-Man 1. So I got to watch it today for two different shows. Made me very happy. And I also have the website SWOProductions.com where we have articles every single weekday, uh, pop culture stuff, some fiction. We're getting a lot more fiction on there nowadays. Just different articles every single weekday. And on Twitter, it is at SWOProductions. And that's usually just my meandering nonsense. But I, I enjoy it. Yeah.
1: Including uh, information on Pop-Tarts, apparently.
4: Oh, yeah. Pop-Tart Quest on the website. Very huge. I am <laughs> going through every flavor of Pop-Tarts I can get my hands on and reviewing
3: them for people. There are Essential. so many.
1: <laughs> and Morgs, what, what are you up to?
3: Yeah, yeah. so we're uh, at the DoeCast on um, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Spotify as well. Uh, so we should be coming back uh, in about a month. We've got an episode coming with uh, Nancy Carlwright who voices Bart. So that's exciting. Um, and yeah, so we'll be launching that too. And if you fancy any true crime, it's at The Untitled Chronicles on Spotify and uh, Instagram as well.
1: Which episode is Nancy talking about?
3: Um, she's talking about um, I'm not too sure. We haven't worked out yet, but she she will be on next week, so we're going to find out.
1: So, so these people that that have worked on uh, in the Simpsons, they pick yeah. an episode that's a favourite of theirs to discuss. Yeah, so they, with they pick their favourite
3: episodes. Yeah. So we had we had Bill Oakley on. That was good. Where he talks about who shot Mr. Burns. That's a classic <laughs> episode. Yeah, that was a good
1: one. Anyway, you can find Pods Like Us on Instagram, Twitter, and on uh, TikTok. Just look for at Pods Like Us. And also we have a Patreon if you just look for at Pods Like Us there as well. And you can contact me on podslikeus at gmail.com. Anyway, thank you for speaking with me today, guys. This was so much fun.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a great time. Appreciate you having us on. And
1: I think my neighbors are irritated because of it being nearly half past midnight over here.
5: (laughs) Take care, guys. Have a good one. Thank you
1: very much. Thanks for listening. And hope you're listening again to another episode of Pods Like Us. Hello,
5: hello.
3: What's up? Hey, how you doing?
5: Everybody hear me okay?
1: I can hear you, Sean. How are you yeah. doing? Oh, terrific. Wonderful. How are you boys? Not bad. Matt? What's going on? How are you? All right. Stu Rob, how are you doing? Or I'm Stu? good. How are I'm <laughs> good. How are you? You're catching me out, Rob. I never know whether to call you Rob or Stu. <laughs> <laughs>
4: They're both good. I respond to either. It's fine. This is Rob Stewart, you see. Yes. Morgs, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Can
3: everyone hear me? Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. How are you doing? Are you getting your your show back on uh, shows back on soon, Morgs?
3: Yeah, it should be coming back soon. A couple of months, just getting it ready.
1: That's cool. Cool. Morgs does uh, docast all about uh, the Simpsons, and he talks to people who worked on the Simpsons as well.
3: Nice. That's a cool trying to get it back up and running again. And Stu, he does
1: uh, a show called Stu World Order, where they pick a different superhero film each episode and talk about it, whether it's one of the better films
4: or riskier films, shall we say. Oh, okay.
3: what do you think about the new Dr. Strange
4: film? I liked it. I thought it was good. I mean, I, is it top 10 in my MCU? No, but it's good. I yeah. enjoyed it. I like that. They just made a horror movie. Like, awesome. Yeah, Go for different. it. Yeah.
1: I think, I think the best bits in it are the bits like that. You know, the, the classic Ramy bits, uh, like, um, was, uh, was was it you, Sean, that was saying something about um, Unreal Blend you were saying about, it's it's almost that it's like he knows how to perfectly direct a, a scene so that you know what's happened, but you don't actually need to see the gore of it, so to speak. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, it makes me wonder what Derrickson wanted to do, you know, like how far he was planning to push it or how much they even changed, you know, and and had the need to replace them Because, the I movie, mean, I will never obviously, get He could do horror. Yeah, yeah. Go on, Matt. What were you saying?
2: Oh no, I was I was talking about that. What he was saying, I was like, the movie I will never get. That's the movie I wanted was Derrickson's sequel, and I'll never I'll never get that. (laughs) So
1: I'm bummed. Yeah, I I gave it a four out of five.
4: Yeah, I think I gave it the same. That sounds right because it's getting there. But there were just there were just
1: some niggly bits about it that that just sort of like it needed a bit of cleaning up here and there. Some bits. I don't think they worked on enough, expanded on enough. I think they sort of like went past things too much. And then some other bits, I thought they went on them for too long in some cases.
3: Yeah, it felt more like a WandaVision movie than than the actual Dos Change movie. And
5: if you're going to let Wanda go full Scarlet Witch, you know, I think she probably earns her own movie against a slew of heroes, uh, especially when you see how quickly she gets rid of the Illuminati yeah
1: yeah i mean she's
5: pretty powerful
1: yeah but gotta say um i think they did well by Anson mount to with the black bolt i think that was cracking in comparison to how he's performed in before that sequence there i thought that was really good his performance in that his death is great it's probably my favorite death yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
4: but it's weird because like you were talking about, this movie does all these things like that, that you're watching and you're like, oh, this is great. The the death of Xavier is great. Yeah. And then like, you know, a few minutes later you get, oh, what is this music note fight scene? Why is this happening?
5: It was, I thought it was kind of interesting that when Xavier, Xavier showed up, they allowed them to use the X-Men theme for him. In yeah. It too. Elfman kind of cribbed from everybody, which I thought was interesting instead it of did. kind of doing his own thing. It did. But
1: um, oh, I thought Sean was going to wear a Spider-Man T-shirt.
5: <laughs> okay, so in my defense, I literally just did a junket interview with um, the production designer for the Matt Reeves Batman, so I wore this for him, and ah. then literally jumped from that to this. Uh, I have my little Batmobile uh, <laughs> yeah. replica, which has become my fidget, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I, I I'm embarrassed that I'm not wearing one of many Spider-Man shirts that I own.
1: I've just changed into this from a mutant ninja turtles t-shirt. So there you go, there you go. Got all for, all of it going on here. I mean, I mean, uh, I'm looking at what Matt's got behind him and what Sean's got behind him there. I have a, a
3: giant nice. like Groggu thing here. <laughs> <laughs> <That'd be nice. laughs> so.
1: Oh dear, Janelle Wheeler needs to see that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I have a hard time keeping Grogu stuff here because my my little girl just keeps jacking it all. So like, <laughs> I lost a pillow, a shirt. I've lost. A, there's a Batmobile sitting in her shopping cart right now. That's ironically Reeves' Batmobile.
1: <laughs> so I've lost that too, it appears. That is a good Batmobile, though. That is really. That cool. was a great Batmobile. Yeah. It is it really is. It, it fits for being year like, two.
5: The design
1: on that is is even yeah. really. Great. It's sort of diecast one that they put out. So, um,
5: yeah,
2: I'm impressed.
1: Every time I see it, I keep thinking Vin Diesel must be really jealous. Mm. <laughs> keep him away from that franchise, please. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> and, oh. and let that be not a real story that they're on about merging that with Jurassic Park.
4: Oh, yeah, I don't know, although. man. I would, I would, I have not seen any of the Jurassic World movies. I've never sat through an entire Fast and the Furious movie, but if they made a Fast and the Furious Jurassic Park, I would be there day one for that. Just to see <laughs> what <laughs> the hell. I want to see them drive cars away from dinosaurs. Let Michael yes. Bay direct
3: that one. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Do you know, Vin could play Bane. It's not that bad.
1: Um, i i kind, kind of pay Yeah.
5: If
2: we plays Tom King's Bane, I'd be I'd be down for that. I can probably yeah. I could roll with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I love that bane. Yeah, I can see that. Bane starts talking about family. You know, it all it all works out.
1: <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. I think we better do the proper introduction to this, I suppose. Was that okay, Sean? Oh, that's Terrific. Sure. <laughs> yeah don't use me as the barometer <laughs> oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry i was trying to get some some information out for the book as well to get people interested in that oh yeah no that's terrific yes plenty of, hopefully people will listen and, and check it out because if it's anything like the uh, the, the previous book release the snyder cut then i think it's essential reading you you'd love that book Stu.
4: oh i'm sure yes that, you would that sounds right up my alley yeah i definitely i i want to get into that now well then i look forward to the fan base turning on me uh
5: and and calling me a villain <laughs> and ruining their lives well the
1: interesting <laughs> thing is that you've got all these behind the scenes stories with the people behind the films i mean when when me and you were discussing about the uh before and about the uh, the new spider-man book you, you even mentioned that you you'd actually spoken with nicholas hammond as well and people like this and it's just interesting that you've got the inside scoop from these people behind the scenes.
5: Yeah, it was really it was great that the more you added people to the to the roster of who we spoke to, um, then more people wanted to get involved. And, you know, so the early going, you got Nicholas Hammond and and, uh, Joe Zito, who was the director who they hired to do the canon version of it. And, you know, they were really happy to tell their stories. And then you start getting around to the to the films the the Rameys and, and the Mark website. And everyone's like, well, who did you get? And I was like, oh, well, I got I got Avi Arad and uh, Amy Pascal. And they were like, oh, OK, you know, now I kind of want to. And so right up until the very end, the last person who I got was Tom Rothman, who is the head of Sony. And he essentially um, you know gave it a blessing. And, and it means that like Sony endorses the book. And so. It's, it's That's excellent. So,
4: that is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it really is, Thanks, man.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank Cause, you. Because you've gone all the way back, haven't you? I think all the way back to the. Have you gone back to the old '60s TV series as well? That was the U.S. Canada co-production.
5: Uh, I well, I start with Hammond essentially.
1: Uh, okay. I, you know, I
5: do touch on like the, the Electric Company, you know, segments that 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 they did in the '60s animated program, but really wanted to start with the, a lot of the live action stuff and talk about how tough it was to get Marvel stuff made in that day and how it was all sort of reserved for TV. Um, But even the, the, the Hammond stuff, like they didn't have a consistent airing schedule, you know, like they would have, you know, one in October, two in November, they never really knew when they were going to be on. It kept getting moved around the schedule. So what I found fascinating about the Hammond ones too, is that they packaged two of those episodes together and shipped them overseas as movies, you know, so he would get, he gets approached still to this day by like, Uh, Spanish fans and Italian fans who come to him at conventions with like uh, cardboard cutouts from their theaters that they stole when they were kids. Uh, And it's him as Spider-Man. And then Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino put him in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He played um, the director who hires DiCaprio uh, to be in the Western, essentially. And um, Tarantino told Nicholas Hammond that he found a a reel in in a, a British cinema, you know, that was just in their stockpile, essentially, of uh, a two episode spider-man thing and and quentin stole it or bought it i'm not quite sure how he did it but he brought it back to los angeles and then screened it at his new beverly uh theater with uh the hammond version and then the the first Raimi as like a double feature kind of thing so he's a big fan yeah.
1: big fan that's brilliant that's great mm-hmm. yeah so they uh, so they basically made those into the um i'm trying to think of the names of the films now spider-man and uh was there something about the dragon's return as well or something like that as yeah. one of his films as well yes
5: that is one of them uh i think that was the second one there was one that they did before it, and i forget what it was called but yeah those that's essentially what they did package those together
1: Have you had any of those on your show yet rob
4: i have not i don't know uh, are they streaming anywhere are they even on youtube or something i could add I, them to the list trust me i if i, I, I know think they're, they're available are. okay I think they
5: are on youtube actually to be honest with you
4: all right. Yeah, I'm going to add those to the list. I think the list is at like 114 right now that people can... <laughs> they just give me three numbers, and I'm like, here's the movies you choose. And sometimes people are happy, and sometimes people are very not.
5: <laughs> I'm doing a quick search. Yeah, I'm doing a quick search. Yeah, the pilot movie is there. It's an hour and okay. 31 minutes. And then The Amazing Spider-Man, The Chinese Web, uh, is also available. So, yeah. you can Oh, great. Yeah, because I know the...
4: I know the 90s Generation X movie is on there, so I know that is on my list. No one's pulled it, but it's available. So I was like, all right, that's definitely, it has Jubilee in it. I want to watch it.
1: There you go. <laughs> oh, d- does that mean that you've looked at the uh, the uh, the version of Fantastic Four as well?
4: You know what? No, I haven't even added that yet either. I That's another thing I need to look up and see. I, I know I have friends who've watched that recently, so I <laughs> need to ask YouTube. them where they saw it. And Okay,
3: yeah,
5: I YouTube. should add that too. I have a VHS copy of that behind me. Nice. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate Thank it, Martin. Thank
4: Thanks for having me
1: on. Nice meeting Thank you guys. Thank you, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
4: yeah. Great. Great talking to you, Sean. Take care, cool. Sean. Take care. I'm actually going to run and get some dinner myself. So how,
1: how was that, guys? Were you okay with that, Rob? Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah, that was yep. pretty
3: good. Fantastic. Okay.
1: Thanks. Yeah. And Take care, Marv. Me and you, Rob. Next time, I'm, um, I'll let you know when I'm off for a period, and then we'll sort out my thing yeah. if we can remember what three titles they were. Ah, I we can just
4: start over from the beginning. I don't remember either. We'll just no. give you three new numbers and go from there.
1: Okay. Take care.
4: Thanks, guys. Take Take care.